Today on That's How I Roll, I'm joined by Cole Worley, game designer of a game, a little game you might have heard of called uh, Root. Yeah, that's right. It's a furry, cuddly war game. We'll talk about that in the upcoming expansion, all that and more coming up right now. It's That's How I Roll. Buckle up, it's time for That's How I Roll with Jeremiah Isley, a podcast about the games we play and the lives we live. That's How I Roll is presented by Theology of Games. Visit theologyofgames.com for the latest in tabletop gaming, news, reviews, and interviews. And now, here's Jeremiah. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Yeah, so hey, hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's episode 112, 113. I've lost track. It's That's How I Roll. Thanks for tuning in. Got a cool show for you today, including that big, big interview that I mentioned just a few moments ago. Before we get into that, though, I want to remind you of a couple things. One, my apologies. If you're listening to this now and you haven't been notified that you won our Tiny Epic Contest... It's too late for you. I'm sorry. You're out later, but I've got good news for you. There's a new contest. That's right. We are giving away a copy of Space Park. And if you want to know how to get your hands on that copy of Space Park, just stay tuned to the Theology of Games Twitter account. We'll be announcing that contest there or better yet. (coughs) This is a bit of a hint. Sign up for our uh, our mailing list by going to theologyofgames.com. It's usually on a sidebar, or if you just follow any, go into any of our blog posts, it's at the bottom there. You can subscribe. All you got to do, sign up there, and uh, we'll be also announcing via that mailing list, <laughs> which might be an important part of how you win. So um, there's that. Very simple contest. It's going to be a lot of fun, and you'll get that awesome game Space Park from our good friends at Keymaster Games. All right. Uh, Last couple things. Don't forget the TOG hotline. You can call in, be a part of the show. uh, 216-352-3864. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, I think that's all I've got. I'm just going to jump into this interview. We're going to get going. Thanks a lot for tuning in, folks. Uh, let's, Let's talk to Colt. Cole Worley is on the show. Now, you may know Cole from this little game that's out there that's kind of a thing now called Root, which is uh, a very exciting thing that's happening in the gaming industry. So I'm just going to stop talking and say, hi, Cole. How's it going? Hey, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So before we talk about Root and the expansions and the Kickstarter, which I think I just got an email. It just launched, or it is launching soon. Um, how? Let's let's just let's let's say hi to Cole and, and get to know you a little bit here, and talk about how you kind of got into gaming, and take us through that journey of waking up one day and saying, "I'm going to design a game." Uh, I'd be happy to. You know, a lot of folks who do game design can doing it for a long time and sort of dream of being able to do it professionally and I while I have been kind of tinkering with games for a long time this was never sort of like in my career trajectory or path uh, like a lot of uh, people growing up in the Midwest I grew up playing a lot of games uh, games were just a really important uh, just an important part of living um, we 
and it, probably because they were so cheap. I had you know tons of siblings and lived in a tiny little house, and we just played games all the time. Uh, I grew up with the Staples. I learned how to play chess pretty young, and sort of Risk and Stratego, Monopoly, and then. Uh, I sort of got a copy of Catan really early, the old red German one. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, from an aunt who was, who, uh, was from Germany. She sort of brought us Catan, and we played the hell out of it. Uh, <laughs> played it until the cards uh, were hardly legible. Uh, and then, you know, just some lucky things kind of happened. I played a little bit of miniature games in uh, primary and secondary school, uh, mostly just making up the rules. I mean, I think like a lot of kids who liked Warhammer, uh, I was there for the models, and then we tried figuring out the game, but mostly we just made up sort of ways of playing. <laughs> right. I think for years I thought like initiative was the number of dice you rolled when you were making checks, and just like completely insane ideas. <laughs> uh, but I but I kept I kept sort of playing games, and then I had a friend who so I was you know I was running this like little miniatures club in my middle school, uh, based out of my middle school library, and I had a friend who brought a copy of Battle Cry. Um, this would have been the year Battlecry came out. It's so like 2000 or 2001. I uh, brought a, a copy of Battlecry and it just eliminated Warhammer because we didn't have to buy anything else. Uh, you didn't mm. need to have an army. You didn't need to prep. Uh, you could play the full thing in a single hour. Uh, and we played tons of it. And then that led us uh, sort of down a path of like thinking about board games as a little more self-contained. And so and that, that continued kind of on through college. Um, in college, I started designing a little bit, mostly just for fun. Um, and usually I was designing around the kinds of things I was studying. It was just sort of a way to keep me focused on the research I was doing. Mm. Uh, and then after that, I went to graduate school and game, my game design practice sort of evolved out of that. Like it was sort of a pedagogical activity. I've been teaching for a long time and I used games to teach and I used them to teach my students and also to teach myself. Um, and then uh, when I was in graduate school, I ran into the designs of Phil Eklund, uh, who's sort of an eccentric rocket scientist, uh, who one of the things that his games do is uh, they're not really interested in playability or marketability. He's really interested in making kind of wonkish arguments. And I mean wonkish in the sense that like they're really policy heavy, they're ornate, uh, they have mm. footnotes. Uh, and I loved them. Uh, I just... I, I, as soon as I started playing them, I, I thought about all these weird little games that I've been using that were so narrow in their focus that maybe there was a little audience for them. And so, uh, you know, Phil and I started kind of working together and I was, uh, I learned some graphic design and was able to start helping with his play tests and some of his layout. And then gradually that grew into doing more development work for Phil and then eventually pitching designs. But at every step, it was just a fun thing I was doing with at the end of my fellowship time. Um, and then right at the end of graduate school, um, I saw a job notice that Patrick uh, had posted on Twitter and applied to it. And then that has led me to uh, you know, doing this work full time now. Awesome. That's like the American dream, right? You know, you, you play games as a kid and then next thing you know, you wake up and you're full time doing game design. <laughs> it's like full circle. So you, Root is not your first game, right? You've got several other titles that mm -hmm. have uh, become, you know, sort of your journey to, to where you are now. When you came up with Root, now, I mean, you look at mechanically what's going on with Root. It's, it's interesting that you were talking about Warhammer and Battlecry and things like that, because those are very like war game kind of things. And mechanically, 
a lot of people that I talk to seem to agree that Root is m very much a war game set in this really cute, furry little woodland setting. Um, is that is that kind of what you set out to do? Did you say, you know, I want to make I want to make a war game that seems maybe more accessible to somebody that thematically wouldn't pick up Warhammer or something that was sort of themed in that genre. Yeah, so I mean, so a few things kind of lined up for Root. Uh, all the games I've worked on previous to Root were explicitly history games, and all of okay. them were kind of in tune with kind of arguments that I wanted to make, both about gaming and about the subject, right? So yeah, uh, Paxmir, um, which is my first design, it's about Afghanistan. It, I was upset by how much Orientalism I saw in board games, and I wanted to make a game that kind of pushed against those tropes. And then on the mechanical side, I wanted a game that was a tableau builder, but wasn't about isolation and wasn't about sort of separating yourself from the players. I didn't want yeah. a multiplayer solitaire. Right, right. Engine builder, which I felt like I'd, I'd, I saw that kind of ethos taking over a lot of the design space. Uh, especially, you know, as game designers start writing more books about game design, I'm finding like there's a sort of critical consensus about like what is fun, what what is a good engine builder look like, and I'm finding that really destructive to the hobby in general because mm. it's, it's circumscribing the kinds of games people can make. So I'm always sort of thinking thematically about some questions that I have or arguments I want to make, and then also mechanically. And with Root, what happened is I had been wanting to make kind of an introductory war game for a while, but kind of had never had a way to do it. Uh, I really admire um, some of the the more current war game design. I, I play a lot of war games, um, but they are not terribly accessible. And a lot of the designs yeah. that I'd worked on were explicitly not accessible. They weren't for everybody. Um, but in the back of my head, there was I was rattling around this idea of like, okay, maybe there's this other, like maybe there's a way that you can kind of bridge that. But I, I, did, I did not have a way to figure it out at all. And then uh, you know, shortly after I started working for Patrick, he sort of provided me with this concept. He said, like, okay, imagine a totally asymmetric game, these four different positions, um, and try to design in that space. And something about that conceit sort of, like, plugged into a bunch of things I had been working on. And then also I had been playing a fair bit of Vast, uh, the Crystal Caverns. Um, oh, yeah. Which was sort of like the major title, uh, Leader Games' first major title. And so I, I liked that game, but I also had some not problems with it, but that there were areas where I thought like, okay, maybe the, my, the thinking I've been doing about accessibility and wargaming and the sort of like studio ethos that Patrick presented with Fast Crystal Caverns and then this new pitch for a strategy game, all these things could kind of swirl together. And then as we started working on it, um, there was a setting that was being developed uh, for an adventure game uh, that uh, Patrick and Kyle had been developing with this like really lovely sort of like mid-century British like animal fable art. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like as soon as we started thinking about all of these concepts as actually one project, things just clicked uh, nice. really, yeah. really cleanly together. So, you know, Root is, uh, it's a game that is definitely, I would definitely class it as a war game, uh, but it's also not a bunch of panzer tanks, you know, fighting a battle. <laughs> like it, it, it is, it is directed at a general audience and it's kind of meant to be uh, an introductory game. Yeah, I think I think that's so good because, you know, I can put root down on the table and show it to my wife and say, look, it's going to take a little time to learn this game, but it's really fun. And look, there's cute little animals and things. Uh, if I put down, you know, Panzer tanks or Warhammer or whatever it may be, probably not the same response. You know, it's it's not that accessible uh, 
sort of thematically and aesthetically. Uh, so yeah, good. It's, it's just brilliant. I, I love it. So I wanted to ask you about, I guess, a little bit more of that, that asymmetrical uh, style and in, in the way you kind of develop those where you, you kind of mentioned that somebody had told you like, let's, let's think of something asymmetrical with four different uh, mm-hmm. factions I mean, I can't imagine logistically what you went through to to balance this game. <laughs> with yeah, so it's I am I. It's been interesting. My feeling about asymmetry is is complicated because none of my other games are asymmetric anywhere in the same league as this, and it's not something I'm I consciously is kind of d- designed for. Yeah, um, and I sort of think like any. Uh, any sort of governing structure like needs to justify itself. So mm-hmm. we get a lot of submissions at Leader Games of people who look at the sort of work that Patrick does and that I've done and think, okay, they like asymmetric games. I have an asymmetric game for them. And it's interesting to see them misread what makes the asymmetry work or not work. Oh, and yeah. I think, uh, you know, Patrick and I have very different design aesthetics, but there's one point which we are in absolute agreement about, which is, Asymmetry is about interaction. Uh, everything uh-huh. spins around interaction. So if you like, you can design six different games and kind of stitch them together and call it like one asymmetric game. But the thing that makes, I think the designs that we work on in house special is that they're interactive mm-hmm. and that the interaction gets mediated through those different positions. Uh, so one of the things I'll usually tell people is in general, when we're designing, um, if you're getting ready to design something like an event card, you should ask yourself, why isn't it possible that the action of the event card isn't ha- like, why is that event not happening organically in the game system? Mm-hmm. And is it possible to build out the system? Um, and so I usually, whenever I, whenever I play a game, I'll often like look at a stack of event cards or a stack of action cards and ask myself like, okay, why, like, why did they spend all this time building a sort of model of one type of interaction but not having this other type, right? So like, oh, you know, in Twilight Imperium, I'm assassinating your, your senators or something, and now you, you get less votes in the voting round. But like, wouldn't it be interesting if there was an espionage system? Now, obviously in design, you have to, you have to cut and choose like the elements of the design that you feel strongest about. But one of the things that we try to do on any project we work on is make that core system as expressive and as robust as it possibly can be. Uh, I will say, you know, in terms of the difficulty of doing asymmetric design, it is really, really labor intensive. Uh, I yeah. felt like I spent six good games on route for each of the different roles <laughs> that like, and, and really when, when I started having those thoughts, uh, I remember telling Patrick that and he's like, good, that that's a sign that like, this is going to be a good game because if each role has a bunch of different approaches and you could even put like several of the same role in a game and have it work. That means there there's real depth being explored. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of like a thing that works, this is really an, this is really labor intensive design. Uh, and here, you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth mentioning that like the way uh, the leader games company uh, is structured is very different from other game companies. So a lot of game companies, like the designer will sort of do a lot of the opening leg work. And then uh-huh. we'll pitch their game to a bunch of different companies and then they'll pick it up and they'll do development on it. And most of the labor is contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, it's, it, so it's very uneven and, and there's, and it's uneven both in terms of where the work happens, but then also 
it's difficult to even locate the company. A lot of things are being done remotely, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and things take a long time. At Leader Games, basically everybody's a full-time employee. Uh, okay. We have a staff of uh, five in the office plus an intern. And then we also have a couple of remote people who, who work for us. Uh, or for Patrick, rather. And we try to take every concept like from the cradle to the grave within the studio. Mm. Um, so for root, like I did all the, almost all the graphic design for the game. Uh, our illustrator, Kyle, it was great because we, I wasn't having to worry about our art budget. Instead, I had to worry about Kyle's time and keeping him busy. And so like, if I needed like a little incidental piece, I would just ask him and I put it on the art list and he'd get to it. And it changes the kind of relationship, um, the creators have to the product. So for instance, um, we play the game a lot. Everybody, you know, our operations team is playing it. They're deeply, deeply familiar with the game. And after a play test, I'm going to sit down and take my design notes. And then I might go right into the graphic files and adjust the layout based on what people are seeing. So like our editor is also helping us do usability. And we're all sort of like, we are all constantly cross training in a dozen ways. Like everybody is a little bit of a developer. Uh, and so, yeah. Root, you know, it, it was uh, I am immensely proud of it, and I, I worked like an animal on that game for the better part of the year, <laughs> but it just simply wouldn't have been possible without the greater scaffolding of the studio at large. Sure, and I, I think what you said is so right on about games where there's so many different levels and depth and paths that you can take in the strategy that you you want to implement. Um, you know, I, I love it when there's a game where it's like, well okay, I'm playing this faction, but I can do X, Y, Z to try to win this game instead of just going, oh, everybody that plays this game says you have to do this and this. And there's sort of this pre-programmed strategic route that you're taking. Um, so knowing that there's depth in something is is so good. You know, it, it makes me want to get it on the table again. Uh, not only because there's four different factions to play, but because you know, oh, I know that when I play this game, whoever I play, there's so many nuances to that gameplay. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, <laughs> I was one of one of our guys here at Theology of Games wanted me to bring up uh, the favor cards. Uh, I'm trying to yeah, the, the favor of the foxes, the mice. The, yeah, yeah. The yes. He he believes so much that those are really overpowered. <laughs> they are super powerful. Yeah, super powerful. yeah. They are um, they are a constant threat in the game. So uh, this is actually uh, this is sort of an interesting point. Uh, we had lots of arguments about them, and later in the design, um, we sort of made the core deck a little more conservative in the sense that um, there were fewer like dramatic events. Um, okay. Yeah. But one one card that stayed, or one set of cards that stayed, were the favor cards. And the reason why they stayed is because there is a sharpness to them and a drama about them that I think really heightens the narrative experience of the game. And this is me really taking a lot from my experience working with Phil, where yeah. you know, in, in High Frontier, which is Phil's game about sort of near uh, solar system colonization over the next hundred years or so, um, your ships will blow up sometimes, and it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible thing because you'll spend an hour crafting the ship, getting it all set up. And then, you know, you just clip something wrong. You hit a radiation belt the wrong way. And then suddenly, you know, your radiator explodes and then your engine overheats and your crew is just floating there. And then you're not going to win the game anymore. And you, in fact, might spend the next 20 or 30 minutes of play 
attempting to rescue your your uh, astronauts that are just like orbiting around an a-, a large asteroid mm. uh sort of waiting for help uh you know for maybe like a decade of game time um and that's unfair and it, it's a mean bad thing uh and, but um those are the games that impress upon us when we play them and yeah. that's like those are sites of storytelling and mm-hmm. the thing that i want I feel like root is at its best when things go off the rails a little bit. And those favor cards are things that can lead things to go off the rails. Now as a function of gameplay, um, they're usually telegraphed. And once people get a little more experienced with the game, you can tell when someone is going for it with a couple of exceptions. Yeah. Um, But I think, you know, root is a, is a strange game because it's gotten many accolades and we're, we're grateful for how, how it's resonated with people. But at its core, it's a little closer to something like an 80s strategy game or like a cosmic encounter. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes can get forgotten because the games that are usually breakout hits each year tend to be a little more sober. Um, but like, no, in Root, like all of your stuff can blow up. Yeah, um, yeah. And like my, my favorite instance is when this happens is when uh, one of the expansion races from, from the Riverfolk expansion, which is the one that's out, uh, is the Lizard Cult. And they, um, they reveal their cards each turn as they use them for actions. And it is hilarious because they'll reveal that they have a favor card. They'll reveal it six times. Oh. They will basically like broadcast it to the table. <laughs> They're also the ones that can most easily craft it. Uh, and you know, by the same token, sometimes the otters, uh, the Riverfolk company, which are also in that expansion, they will have one on their display for sale and slowly be advancing to a place in which they can use it. And when it happens... Uh, you can only blame yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, I also think I, I love the ambush action too, you know, because somebody can make this grand plan to come swoop in and, and try to wipe you out and you're just lying in wait to ambush them and, and really kind of foil their plans as well. Um, so yeah, no, that's cool. That's, I, I was glad to hear that. That's, uh, that's super awesome. And I would love to play with the otters sometime. And and, and I'll say too, you know, for people who like, like the favor cards, yeah. um, as part of the expansion, uh, we're putting together a new deck, which basically replaces all of the improvement, all of the non item cards in the deck get replaced with this, with the secondary deck. And okay. they're basically like, I think there are 22 unique improvements uh, and they're all insane uh, and really fun and interesting. And like, it, they give you that race for the galaxy feel when you get your hand and you're like, all of these cards are really good. Nice. And nice. I'm, I really want to find some way to exploit them. And for me, uh, it's been a really fun project to design because it has, uh, I, I've played at this point probably 200 games of Root and playing with that new deck and with the new factions has really shaken things up in a way that like, I'm excited for the next 200 plays. Very cool. All right, speaking of new factions and expansions, real quick, give us the lowdown uh, sure. on, on this new one that's coming out and hitting Kickstarter soon. Okay, so we are at the at the time of this recording, we are finalizing our pricing, so I can't mention the prices. But sure. uh, folks who back us on Kickstarter know that we take care of our backers and the people who come and and just help us raise the capital. We uh, we always find good things to give them. Uh, the expansion is called the Underworld Expansion. It's on Kickstarter March fourteenth. It's going to be a shorter campaign. It's only running till April second. Uh, we're not kind of planning any big stretch goals or anything like that. Uh, instead, you get the expansion. The expansion includes uh, a pair of an extra pair of fancy-looking dice. You get a two new maps: a spring map in the mountains with tunneling, and then a summer map with a big lake. 
Uh, you get two f- new factions. That's the Great Underground Duchy, which is a bunch of parliamentarian moles. They're hilarious. And you also get the Corvid <laughs> Conspiracy, and they uh, infiltrate the hands of the other players sitting at the table and just create some really hilarious tensions. Uh, and then for people that back us on, uh, on the Kickstarter, we're going to get you that bonus deck, which we'll sell later down the line because we don't really do exclusives. Uh, and then also uh, custom Vagabond meeples for all the different uh, Vagabonds in the game. So you have a custom meeple for each different Vagabond. Oh, nice. Uh, in addition to that, I should say uh, we've got lots of other goodies for people to do add-ons. We will be doing an upgrade kit for people who want um, the slightly nicer boards with a couple little balance alterations that were made and some updated errata text. Those will be pretty cheap. And then uh, we have a expanded solo version, which um, includes, I think, four bots. A bot for each of the of the base set that you can you could put play a full bot game or you could put in two bots or whatever and they have kind of a competitive and a cooperative modes and that's built on uh, the better bot project which was a big BGG project and they've done some great work. Oh, very cool, very cool. All right, what do you say we roll some dice and answer some questions here? I've got in front of me a list of twenty questions and in my hand is a D twenty and like I said, you can do random short answers or go as deep as you want. Uh, this right, is let's do it. It's a podcast. We're just having fun here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Oh, I rolled a one. Uh, oh, this is perfect for root. Um, the question is, what does the Fox say? Um, oh crap. Uh, what does the Fox say? <laughs> it's like a chirp, isn't it? I think it's a chirp. It's some kind of chirp. Yeah, we'll go with that. There's no wrong answers. I mean, I guess there probably are. You're giving but... me flashbacks to teaching at a Korean cram school, which <laughs> I was doing while that song was big. And awesome. I was having to, to shake myself out of those, those moments. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, rolled a three. Oh, what's your uh, favorite game night snack? Ooh, uh, Jess will kill me because she loves those Reese's Pieces and is always trying to uh, proselytize them. I, uh, I like peanut M&M's. Probably my favorite, my favorite snack. Um, hate chips because they just get oil everywhere. Yeah, uh, so. yeah, I'm with no, you on no, that. No, no chips at my game nights. I'm, no. I'm not going to buy card sleeves so people can eat chips for the games. <laughs> I totally agree. I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with that concept. All right, here we go. Uh, I rolled that one again. This die is terrible. Uh, let's see. Okay, number seven. All right, Star Wars question for you. Who mm-hmm. is your favorite Jedi? Oh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Definitely. Old version. Old version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Alec Guinness is so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you go wrong with Alec Guinness? I mean, come on. All right, cool. Uh, let's do a couple more here. Ooh, a, a 20. Oh, so another Star Wars related question. Star Wars or Star Trek? It's Star Trek. My wife and I have seen every Star Trek episode for oh, all wow. series like twice. At this oh, point. wow. I'm I'm deep. I'm deep into the Trek first. All right. All right. <laughs> but you had a quick answer to the Jedi question too. No, so. we, we, I mean, we're dorks, so we, we do it all, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but Star Trek, I think, I think is aged better, a little bit better. We like it so much for Halloween last year. We all went as characters and we did like Janeway, Archer, Kirk, and we did the, the uh, captain from each of the series. Oh, nice. Nice. I like it. All right, one more and we'll uh, we'll move on. Here we go. Uh, 12. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, I got to scroll over to see it. Uh, power goes out in your house. What do you do for entertainment? 
I, I mean, we have candles and I read, uh, we re- we read a lot. I, I got buried in books all during graduate school and somehow I still like them. So <laughs> there's no explanation. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, Hey, that's going to do it for our time together. Um, Thanks so much for being on the show. Before we get going, though, I want to give you just a moment. Give us all the the social links, the places they should go to find you. Uh, do you have a personal account you want people to know about? Uh, just take some time, promote all the things. Give us the, the details again on the Kickstarter as well. Sure. So Root the Underworld Kickstarter, uh, it, it, it goes live on March 14th. It's going to be running through April 2nd. Um, you can get at the company at general. Uh, we have a really active Twitter account at leader games. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Cole Worley, which is a almost games exclusive Twitter. So if you just want to see me muse about design, that's where you'll find it. Um, that is spelled uh, C O L E W E H R L E. Uh, leader games is on all the major platforms. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, both Patrick and I are very active on BGG. So do you have anything you'd like to say? You're welcome to send me a private message on BGG and I will certainly uh, get back to you quickly. Very cool. All right. Thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Well, there it is, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. A big thanks to Cole Worley of, of Leader Games for tuning in or for tuning in, for coming on the show, being a part of it awesome stuff there don't forget call the hotline 216-352-3864 if you have here's what here's reasons you could call uh you want to talk about the things we've been talking about on the show you have uh burning questions for myself such as what's my favorite game what games am i reviewing upcoming uh what's my favorite smell uh (laughs) (laughs) doesn't have to be anything just uh give me a call let me know what's on your mind i'd love to hear from you also if you wanted to just profusely and unashamedly uh just give the show accolades and pour great great compliments upon me and the show we would also accept those calls as well (laughs) so that's 216-352-3864 it's in the show notes as always Check out uh, that expansion for Root. The link will be in the show notes as soon as there is something available for you to see. I believe I've got a preview page link uh, that I can put in there. Um, And uh, what else do I need to tell you? Oh, yeah. Sign up for the mailing list. That Space Park contest is coming very soon. That's how you'll find out. And that's part of how you'll win it is being on a mailing list. I'm being really super secretive about that. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here for now. Thanks again for tuning in. For my wonderful guest, Cole Worley, I'm Jeremiah Isley saying, hey, if you uh, don't like little woodland creatures battling it out, going for blood, sorry, that's just how I roll. Thanks for rolling with us today. That's How I Roll is produced by Jeremiah Isley and brought to you by Theology of Games. If you liked what you heard today, take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in, and drive safe.